0: Happy New Year and welcome to the 66th episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This episode was recorded on the 30th of December 2021 and this is our end of year episode where I'm talking with Mervé Hickok about the year just gone. We chat about the EU AI legislation and harmonising AI product markets through policy. We chat about the UNESCO principles and many other things in AI ethics like systemic dogma Ethics in Defence, Demonstrating Values and Principles as an Organisation, Ethical Investing, We chat briefly about Stuart Russell's Reef Lectures this year and Autonomous Lethal Weapons, and we also chat about Coded Bias, the Netflix documentary. Thank you so much to everyone who supported us this year on Patreon. If you like what we do, please check out patreon.com forward slash machineethics. You can also find past episodes at machine-ethics.net, and you can contact us at hello at machine-ethics.net. Follow us for updates on Twitter, machine-ethics, underscore Instagram, machine-ethics-podcast. And thank you so much for listening, and hope you enjoy. Um, hi Merv. <laughs> um, how, how are you doing? Um, could you just introduce yourself, who you are and what do you do? That'd be great.
1: Absolutely Ben, and thanks for having me on uh, today. My name is Mary Hickok, Uh, I'm the founder of AIethicist.org. I wear a couple of, or a few hats actually, uh, between AI ethics and AI policy. So my work intersects between um, ethics and policy as it relates to bias, uh, social justice, and uh, democratic values. So within my own organization, AI Ethicist, uh, I provide training and consultation to organizations on how to develop and deploy or implement um, AI systems in a responsible and ethical way. I teach data ethics at University of Michigan and the Masters of Applied Data Ethics program. And I'm also the uh, research director at Center for AI and Digital Policy, which is the policy hat where we look at uh, our focuses on how AI systems and technology impact Democratic values, rule of law, and uh, fundamental rights. So we take a global approach, global perspective on national AI strategies, policy, yeah. and, and regulation.
0: Awesome. So um, you're not very busy then, right?
1: Not at all. Not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not like I'm dreaming about this stuff.
0: I know. Um, I feel like you might be in a busy year then. Like uh, from the policy side, things feel like they started happening, things started coming out of the woodwork for, uh, what policies might look like in the future. Um, we obviously had the EU regulation, which was like a start, right. Of, um, it's not actually set in stone yet. Um, but we had a look at what kinds of things they're thinking about in terms of regulating AI projects, data science projects. Mm -hmm. Did it seem like it was on the right track?
1: Uh, absolutely, mm-hmm. I've been actually quite involved with the draft EU uh, regulation to your point this mm-hmm. year 2021 has been the year where some of these conversations that have been happening for a, a pretty long while has is starting to become more tangible, mm-hmm. whether it's in terms of recommendations or draft regulations or like different policy approaches. Uh, we're certainly starting to see some tangible things. Um, so for the EU AI regulation, the draft form, I can go on and talk for hours about it. I yeah. have written about it, but <laughs> uh, for the purposes of this podcast, I think it's a great first step. It mm. is a great start, uh, but I think there's a lot to um, change and Mm -hmm. improve there's a lot of room for improvements before it actually becomes a regulation. Um, I think that the way that they were trying to EU was trying to balance harmonization of uh, market across its member states for products and services and protection of fundamental rights and trying to do that within um, a single legislation Mm. currently as for me uh, as it stands it's more skewed towards markets and product protection right. or market harmonization than protecting fundamental rights. So uh, I, I think there's a lot to, to do on, on that front.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you, do you think, like, like generally, you think the approach they took with this kind of context, like use-specific route was the right way to kind of think about it?
1: Uh, I think uh, the whole risk uh yeah, risk models or or management of risk is, was more pragmatic and for more practical purposes of regulation than kind of regulating and understanding its impact on society or social justice, etc. Mm. One of my issues with, with that uh, use cases, the high risk use cases or the very, very narrow description of prohibited cases mm. is we are not really sure how those decisions are made. Uh, I call this the EU's deci- or commission's decision mm-hmm. to come up with those use cases and prohibited practices more like a black, black box decision itself. Uh, Cause we don't know how they arrived at those decisions, narrowed it down to those use cases mm-hmm. and how they're looking to do a more um, analytical and concrete assessment of different use cases in the future and how, do, how those lists will be updated. Um, so it was very much, okay, this is high risk yeah. and anything and everything underneath this is high risk, but it doesn't really look at the different ways that you can use other AI systems in different contexts for different purposes uh, that mm-hmm. is not sitting in that, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could almost, it feels like you could almost lobby to you know if, if one of you if the thing that you're doing sits in high risk or prohibited then you know there's almost like is there a way I, that we can open this up for a discussion like <laughs> i can categorically show you that it's like going to be okay Um but that's not what the legislation is trying to do it's trying to somewhat concretely have these barriers of um... absolutely
1: and it goes both ways right mm. for providers you don't get a chance to like explain that to your Mm -hmm, point mm -hmm. Um, but also for those others or more impacted by other systems you don't have a way to uh, complain Mm -hmm. bring charges uh, to providers etc or expand that list narrow that list for that matter Uh, so there isn't any like clear-cut complaints or recourse mechanisms uh, Mm. within Within, within the legislation as it currently stands.
0: Yeah, but I guess maybe that's up to the member states then in that case to provide that sort of kind of usable mechanism, right, to to, to do that sort of... Well, you know. it's
1: the, the legislation is also preventing the individual member states from coming up with more prohibitive restrictions. Oh. So that's, that's the whole harmonization of single market objective with this legislation. Right so it's trying to bring this like one rules it all kind of uh regulation across the EU uh market so individual states don't go with more restrictive uh or more lax uh uh regulations for that matter mm. So, the providers don't go pick and choose between.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, we're just going to move to Holland because the, the Netherlands, because they got a slightly more relaxed version or, you know, that sort of behavior.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do, do you see any uh, kind of interesting stuff coming out of any other countries that are thinking about where they stand with this? Because obviously, they, there's been principles the world over over the last couple of years, and we've discussed quite a bit of that on this podcast. Is there any other like, Prospective legislation coming through
1: i am i'm very um excited about a couple of things that Mm -hmm. came out in addition to the eu regulation or draft regulation this year Mm -hmm. one is the unesco recommendations on ai ethics or Mm -hmm. ethical guidelines if you consider the 190 plus countries uh, signed up for this uh, you can understand the impact now that it has been approved within the uh, in November by nine like i said 109 countries plus countries you see how this is becoming an important subject and becoming an important policy item for all nations whether they are on the developing end of these systems and trying to sell the systems whether they are trying to regulate the systems or whether they're actually on the receiving end of some of these systems, whether it's, uh, it's surveillance states or uh, misinformation or what have you or extractive uh, policies. So there is. It, it was really encouraging and exciting to see those countries coming together to put their signatures underneath it. Yes, it's not mandatory, uh, but there are some reporting requirements associated with the UNESCO guidelines. So hoping that uh, fingers crossed mm-hmm. that it moves the conversation forward. Uh, and the other, the second thing that was really exciting well came out of um, Council of Europe Ad Hoc Committee on AI. They just in December finalized uh, their recommendations on legal elements of uh, binding and non-binding legal instrument it's a very extensive way to describe it Uh, but uh council of europe uh has uh, i believe 47 countries and they have previously uh passed conventions like budapest convention uh, 108 etc so they actually have a record of bringing a lot of countries together to commit themselves to uh, certain practices Mm. i i am very hopeful that um out of the council of Europe's work on this legal instrument there is going to be uh hopefully some mm. effect some effective regulation come in yeah. and the beauty be to it council of europe uh conventions or any legal instrument is you don't have to be a council of europe member state you can actually adopt it and uh in your own nation mm-hmm. and um kind of ratify it and and, just start, use start, it. Yeah. And,
0: and start using it mm. yeah i haven't i've i've looked at the the other two that you mentioned the um obviously the eu draft legislation and the unesco which was and these are both quite dense documents right these are not these for yeah. anyone who's uh wants some light to reading over christmas these are exactly not what you want to be reading <laughs> but <laughs> It, the UNESCO one was quite interesting to me, if we could just go quickly back to that, and we'll come back from, um, Is the... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that seems standard or, like, usual to me. It's like, great, they're talking about this, and that, that, they haven't missed that one out, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I like the fact that they are actually paying um, some attention to, like, what I call dogma, but other people call, like... Um, data, I can't remember what it's called, but like the fact that you have these kind of systems which then affect the world and the, the, the world then becomes... More like the system. So um, you have a strong statement in there about things like you know, like the YouTube algorithm might do when you influence people's behaviour. And there's a lot, of, uh, there's a big paragraph about behaviour change and pe- people's rights to not being um, you know unduly kind of uh, uh, pushed into certain directions through algorithmic decisions. And I was like, cool, that's like something which I haven't seen so much of in this conversation a lot of it's around about you know um bias and all this sort of stuff um so it's nice that there's this, the dogma stuff in there you know how these systems impact us and then um, we impact the system and it goes around and around but i have i hadn't heard of the um the other one that you were talking about what did that have anything interesting in it or is it just kind of getting going that the
1: um... uh council of europe yeah. committee on ai mm-hmm. uh, or also known as kaha'i mm-hmm. uh so kaha'i's um mandate was it is really focused on rule of law democracy and mm-hmm. fundamental rights so they're not um their mandate doesn't include any like product like how how do we harmonize regulation for products how to make sure uh Mm -hmm. ai is trustworthy so more people uh adopted etc it's really it's really about how do we protect these three pillars um human Mm -hmm. rights uh, rule of law and democracy and with the human rights obviously under its you know Uh, within its basis is the human dignity element, right? Mm -hmm. So their mandate, because of their mandate and the nature of the Council of Europe's work, uh, forces them to look at this from a very different perspective and understand the impact Mm -hmm. of AI systems and like how how do we actually analyze the impact? uh, Mm -hmm. What should be the method of impact? What should be some of the practices that should be prohibited? uh or put moratorium on or to develop etc and how do we actually put safeguards um and regulatory practices around that so yeah uh they are coming from they're coming at from a very different angle uh and uh which is again very refreshing you mentioned the the unesco piece and how that was different from the, the the previous conversations uh to your point unesco definitely acknowledges ai systems as socio-technical systems they have impact on society they have impact mm-hmm. on social justice they have impact on the planet so when you're looking at the recommendations <laughs> the very long recommendations yeah. uh they actually uh recommend uh, or you know like uh, provide guidelines on you need to consider the planet you need to consider the su- sustainability children's mm-hmm. rights um, uh, rights of vulnerable populations um, etc mm-hmm. uh, which is really uh, or or uh, groups uh, um, minority groups or marginalized communities etc um, those concepts are mm-hmm. very very thinly touched in the eu legislation
0: mm-hmm. yep. if
1: at all there, there is a, like a, a, a few places where you mention sustainability or protection of vulnerable uh, people, etc. But such narrow and thinly um, disguised. So, like I said, between the three of them, mm-hmm. uh, I'm really excited. And I'm also excited about a number of uh, national AI strategies that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that AI systems becoming a hot policy item, so a lot of countries are trying to establish where they want to be mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their investments, in terms of their priorities, um, how AI systems should be developed and implemented in their own uh, in, in their own societies. So it's really interesting space. Uh, incredibly fast-moving space.
0: I think I think I read um, the they had some UK-based um, kind of AI uh, policy, not policy but kind of uh, strategy come out. I think maybe two years ago. And what I struck by then was that they were very excited by the space and they were happy to help. You know, they were like encouraging commercialization as fast as possible and. I think more, more recently, it's like more tentative, right? You know, we're going to be thought leaders, and we're going to be leaders in the space, but also because we're going to do it environmentally friendly and ethically. You know, that these things are like in in that conversation now, and that it's not just a commercial thing. Um, or a, you know, um, this other, other conversation, which is sort of sideways to it, which is around... Um, arms and, you know, defence and that sort of thing as well. Um, And I feel like the conversation there is still kind of raging and it hasn't really got to a decision on where people stand necessarily. Or or rather, it sounds like people are saying we shouldn't do automated weapons and then people are doing them. So... (laughs) um, it's sort of confusing, I think, in that space. Um, but it's nice that I've seen this, this the the kind of general conversations coming, incorporating some of the stuff uh, around AI ethics into some of that strat- like, um, strategy thinking. Um, is that the kind of vibe you're getting as well? Ah,
1: uh, there's <laughs> <laughs> there's certainly more conversations. I mean, NATO mm. uh, has its ethics guidelines, and in US department of defense pentagon has its ai ethics yep. guidelines on principles uh, i think a lot of the stuff a lot of the times when i'm talking about ethics i always compare or even policy stuff um compare what you say to what you do mm-hmm. are you are you walking the talk and yeah like if you say something in your national AI strategy if you endorse the principle uh do you actually are, are you actually pre- implementing that so that's one of the things that, for example, we look at at Center for AI and Digital Policy. We are looking intensively to tens and tens of countries and their national AI strategies and their practices on the ground. And what they're doing with it, same thing with the company is hmm. you might put on your website your AI responsible AI practices. Uh, but are you actually implementing those in in real life in, 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 in real life in your products and services
0: is there a um is there a way that you kind of it is easy to demonstrate whether you're doing those things is it is it a way that companies or countries are able to because of it's just trust at that point isn't it you know you're saying these things and we at least you're showing us that you you care, right? You someone cares somewhere, or has written this thing down, and you've probably had a conference about it, and that's great. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know, is there somewhere to verify, you know, this sort of thing in the way that you um, do your policy work?
1: Exactly. I mean, you when you're looking at some of the implementations, for example, look at you want your national AI strategy or practices to be human centric to work for humans uh, to be fair and with non-discriminatory results etc and then you turn around or and and respect human dignity and then you turn around and and, um, implement predictive policing systems or heavy surveillance uh state systems surveillance uh systems mm-hmm. within your within within your streets on your borders whatever it is yeah. uh, you implement welfare uh eligibility systems yes on one hand you're trying to make it more efficient etc uh but a lot of the systems end up being to you know used to catch fraud Rather than expanding welfare and you know helping people and helping with the root yeah. causes of these issues, uh, they end up being used more to catch fraud and sometimes unintentionally cut people from their benefits, uh, which results in more uh, serious serious conditions and issues for people. So just like looking at this, whether it's a company or whether it's a nation. Mm. Uh, I, I are you doing uh like for example, if you're a cloud uh, provider mm-hmm. and yeah. you say I, I respect sustainability, I respect the you know, I respect planet, etc. Uh do you then go ahead and like help companies, you know, carbon uh energy based companies like oil companies etc mm. to extract oil or gas more efficiently and do you have contracts like that or can you categorically say because I want to protect the planet because I believe in sustainability I will not take on these businesses so yeah hard, hard questions um, a lot of the principles um, a lot of the stuff to me feels more uh, PR
0: yeah yeah.
1: And a bit, bit of window dressing, uh, but there are also, you know, good examples every now and then as well. So I think it's work in progress. Uh,
0: I think there's a good point, though, around um, contracts. Like there's a, there's a lot you can do with the contracts that you take on as an organization. Um, so if you are in a position to, like, be a big player in one of those areas, you know, it could be uh, kind of internet infrastructure, software, and, and that sort of thing. Um, Even, you know, an AI startup, you know, you're going to have contracts with people and some of those people are going to be mining for gold or they're going to be, you know, helping people with the weather prediction for harvests or it's going to be, uh, I don't know, tobacco farmers. And you have the opportunity to to take the contracts or not. So, you know, um, so that's a good point. You should be thinking about these things, right?
1: Hopefully, I think. um eventually, like I said, it's work in progress. Mm. Uh, Yes, you're kind of fighting against the capitalist motivations, but Mm -hmm. also um, I think the world is definitely moving towards and at least an acknowledgement of responsible investment, responsible innovation uh, and eventually uh, I'm an optimist (laughs) and uh, eventually there will be this um, you know, threshold where it is accepted, it becomes second nature, where yeah. it is demanded yeah. from this organisation. So
0: yeah. yeah, I guess it's the norm The norm at that point. It's like, this is how it works. You know, this is the kinds of thing we invest in, so it's okay. Um, did you, do you have an opinion? I, this this might be a non-starter, but I was just wondering if you had an opinion, because um, I was listening to the Reef lectures which is a UK BBC yearly talk series and this year they had Stuart Russell who if anyone knows anything who's anybody ever studied AI will definitely know because he has always he's written the books on a lot of this subject uh, and he's a big thinker in this space and he did a lecture in four parts which I definitely recommend I don't necessarily agree with all of it but it's all very good thinking uh, material inspiration and one of theirs um, was all about laws and lethal autonomous weapons, and I wondered if if that played into any of the work that you do, or is that kind of like separate from this conversation that you're having?
1: I uh, no, it definitely is uh, part 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 of what we're looking at in terms mm. of, um, you know, especially in national AI strategies and the, the where each nation is positioning itself in terms of its strategy, but also in terms of its military capabilities. To your point, I strongly recommend Stuart Russell's read lectures, all yep. four series, uh, especially mm-hmm. on laws. And he actually calls out very clearly calls out these nations saying we would never we would never develop fully autonomous weapons. Yep. Uh however, uh, they also are opposed to banning this uh little autonomous weapons. So there is that. Um,
0: um hypocrisy
1: <laughs> weird hypocrisy yeah, yeah. uh between there so like they they, they are op- on one hand saying okay we will never do it but we're gonna leave the door open just mm. in case mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So- someone else does it, and then we have to do it etc et i think we definitely need um and, and he puts it in very clear terms bringing a historical perspective those, uh which um With the chemical weapons convention, Mm. uh, biological weapons convention, and also tying uh, some of the issues with the current conventional weapons uh, convention. Yeah. Yeah. Convention on conventional weapons. (laughs) Uh, And some of the shortcomings of trying to use that framework on AI systems. uh, I I definitely must listen, uh, lecture, and it, it is very hard to understand the, this hypocrisy and the um, hesitancy of, of these nations on, mm-hmm. on where they stand. But also, if you look at the laws conversation from a bit of a wider perspective, it's not only the nation states that are developing this, right? This is becoming um, very cheap to develop, very cheap to acquire. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, it's not only about regulating US armed forces or UK armed forces or any other armed forces for that matter. It might be a uh, civilian actor with malevolent pur- purposes, objectives, yep. uh, and then you're moving into asymmetrical warfare uh, where this becomes instead of working on you know, biological weapons or bigger attacked plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were able to get the systems uh, very cheaply and deploy them Mm -hmm. on one hand. But it also, he also calls out on, uh, as well as Max Techmark on how this could have an impact with uh, being the ability with the systems, autonomous systems to have more uh, precise targeting. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: That you, you might actually use this to eliminate whole groups of people or eliminates political dissenters or your opposition, etc. So mm. this is not, this shouldn't be looked at only from a, a military perspective, how it can be used by um, autocratic leaders yeah, within their yeah. own countries and how non-military, non-government actors can use this as a power tool as well. Yeah.
0: I mean, in that, Um, surveillance kind of um, society sort of way it's like the worst 1984 scenario isn't it Um, where instead of it being mostly your peers dobbing you in and making sure that everyone's not doing anything it's just literal everything with a screen or has a camera and and it can fly and it know (laughs) he can get you (laughs) Um, which sounds horrific you know so, so
1: sometimes <laughs> it's not like anything and everything is collected data on anything and everything is mm. collected but sometimes it's not even like collated in, in a most accurate way either yeah. so you yeah, have yeah. thousands and thousands of replication not replications but yeah. manifestations of of you on band forth and this profile and and in this profile for this product Mm-hmm. Which might not be representative of you as a person, or will never stay as a representative representation of you uh, yeah. as, as a person. So, not only are we trying to collect all this data that we can possibly collect, but then it's, it's not representative, it's not correct, it's not accurate, it's not recent. Uh, all this stuff also comes your way. So,
0: mm-hmm. so I, I feel like that it beautifully takes us into like coded bias did you see that this year
1: absolutely i actually interviewed uh the director oh great uh earlier
0: in the year because i think they they it it was released early this year i think i was trying to work out if it was last year or this year along the social dilemma which is also these are both netflix shows we're not endorsed by netflix by the way but you should (laughs) check them out if you do have access it feels like there's this Uh, public kind of, you know, understanding, there's like more information out there about just tech ethics, seemingly not necessarily just like problems with algorithmic bias and um, AI products, but generally, certainly social dilemma is more about how we are curating our future, you know, how we are interacting socially and how that's affecting us and how these like Facebook big companies have kind of sent us down this line. Um, whereas Coded Bias is a bit more specifically around, um, you know, impacts to certain diversities of people by a- algorithmic bias or data issues or stupid design with some of these algorithmic systems. Did you enjoy that film? And do you think it was representative?
1: I absolutely loved the, the documentary. I think it was a beautiful manifestation of um, the research the actual mm-hmm. academic uh, or scholarly research, which is now a seminal research in especially uh, in facial recognition and bias circle, that beautiful manifestation of the work into like, how do you turn that around into uh, a tool for activism and mm-hmm. advocacy? How do you make this work more accessible, more understandable to the mainstream? and help them understand some of the implications of uh, of bias in the systems and how it can be used to um, intentionally or unintentionally, uh, to discriminate, um, to oppress, etc. cetera. I, I, I think it was uh, absolutely, I, I have great respect for uh Dr. Blom, now Dr. Blomwini, and uh, as well as, you know, Dr. Gebru and Deb and everyone who was involved in that, um, in that, in those bias studies uh, to start with. But I think Shalini Kantaya has brought a very, from her activism background, she has brought a very uh, interesting perspective to it to make it more accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the great, integration of scholarly work with art, and how you can use that to um, get more mainstream attention. But I also credit a lot of investigative journalism um, this year, over the past few years, who are working really hard to bring some of the issues with these systems uh, to the surface. Like how is this algorithm impacting your access to credits, uh, the housing prices, when you put your house on, on a market, uh, your access to education, your right. A-levels <laughs> for that matter. Uh, and a lot of the things were actually touches on like, has a real impact on people's life and mm. bringing that, those elements to the surface and helping people understand, Hey, there is like these systems are not perfect there might be implications on me or people who look like me, sound Mm -hmm. like me. So I I probably need to understand this better. Um,
0: Yeah. And do you think the upshot from that stuff is better design or is it better education or the uh, citizens become uh, more understanding about the systems they're interacting with? Or is that stupid binary and it's just a bit of both?
1: I, I think it's definitely both and more. Uh, yeah, like, they are not mutually exclusive. We definitely need more literacy, digital literacy, yeah. uh, from from whether you're a product consumer or service consumer, whether you're an employee in a in a company using the systems, whether you're a citizen uh, trying to understand what kind of decisions pub, you know public systems are making about you, or oh. what kind of access you have to information or news, and how that might be skewed or biased. Uh, understanding those from from an individual level and increasing that with li- dat- data and uh, digital literacy is very crucial. That I think also puts pressure on the companies or organizations to be more ethical. Yep. And, for more like responsible design, or have more controls, better controls about you know oversight, uh, but also hopefully it will put some pressure on the policymakers and lawmakers as well. That with again with a threshold of demand for change, your the priorities of the policymakers and lawmakers change. You mm-hmm. know like when you have when you when this. Demand for change from from citizens, from consumers, reach, reaches a critical threshold, then it becomes a priority for for the lawmakers, right? Like, if um, whether it's consumer protection or whether it's uh, regulating misinformation or platforms, etc. So I think it's all related to mm-hmm. each other, and one doesn't happen without without the other. Uh, I think. The magnitude and timescale of how those happen will be the crucial question.
0: Yeah. As I was, as you were talking then, I was thinking that I should ask you about predictions for 2022. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a different year. I'm going to predict, I'm going to put money on it being different, hopefully in the positive way. Uh, you know it feels like life has been repeating itself a bit this year Um, so I'm getting married in June so that's positive and hopefully that will happen that's great there's one thing so hopefully the rest of the year is not like (laughs) something else Uh, but do you have any (laughs) any predictions for what we might see in this area this year
1: well first of all that's great news Ben and I can see the smile on your face when you mentioned that so Definitely something to look (laughs) forward to sense of it. So for my predictions for 2022, um, some of the stuff, I I think some of the stuff that is already in the pipeline, like the EU regulation Mm -hmm. um, and the discussions and debates around it and bringing it to a more mature state. I don't see it finished in 2022, but I think it will be uh, more mature with the different sides pushing for certain changes that, we are also pushing. Mm. Also uh, in May, the the Cahais work is going to be picked up by the the next uh, group. So that work is going to restart with the next round uh, of that legal Mm. instrument. They're gonna pick up elements for the legal instrument recommendations and actually start putting it together, like put meat on the bones. Mm. So that's definitely something, to look at um, from my end i'm really excited obviously about the teaching uh that i'm involved with and mm. the the consulting and training ask that i'm getting from the organizations which is a good way for me to judge the the demand side of mm. um responsible and ethical way of doing ai yep. Uh, and I, I'm very happy to see that I, I get demand both from like startups, but also Fortune 500 companies, and demand from around the world. So I think that re- definitely correlates with some of some of the stuff that we've uh, we've been talking about. Um, but I also am very excited about uh, expanding our uh, some of our work uh, at the centers uh we're expanding our analysis of national ai strategies to 50 countries so Mm. that index should come out in in the next um, two to three months we are going to kick off our uh, next class next semester of ai policy clinic uh so we got representations Mm. from all around the world, literally all around the world, yeah. uh, it will be all make for some interesting times on adjustments on 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 the class classes. Uh, but just like we are trying to build up the skills and know how and this like next generation of AI policy mm-hmm. uh, consult not consultants but advisors or experts. So it's great yeah. to see that and interest in 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 these classes as well and looking at. the the diversity, not only from like geographical uh, point of view, but, you know, we have graduate students, we have Mm. professionals, we have actually policymakers in their respective countries. Um, Mm. It's really great to see that interest and hopefully we can uh, help them to make changes in their areas as well.
0: It was really funny, actually, uh, that you mentioned that because I was at a talk... Uh, So I gave a talk and a a roundtable discussion a couple of weeks ago um, for um, the public consumption, but it was um, for a company that was pushing a certain ethically minded agenda. And that was cool. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mind. uh, I was glad to be part of that. And one of the roundtable participants was saying things around, uh, but it's hard to get people and it's, and it's difficult because it's, you know, it's not really a profession and where, and I, and I was struck by the fact that, I mean, if you said that like five or six years ago, I think there would be academics and there'll be, that's it. You know, there would be no other people who you can talk to. But now I feel like, well, there's loads of people you could talk to and, and loads of people who could help and, and, and you can give money to and will give you, you will supply you with different things around this topic now. And so I actually pushed back and I was like, no, actually it's it's pretty it's pretty good. so just you know hit us up <laughs> hit, hit um you you up or or myself and and the other organizations that are in this space depending on what you need. so um, I'm really
1: excited about the network span um, mm. not, not to cut you up no, no, cut no. You in, but I've seen over the course of this year and last year multiple networks that that both you and I are part of mm. uh, expanding and you know the people building this community is pushing for change. Um, you know one of the we always hold companies like okay the, the, if you're working for this company you know you're not you're not doing this and that etc yeah. but something that I had repeatedly say that there are some amazing people who are trying to yes they are working for those companies yeah. for different reasons. But they're also trying to make some change within. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of com- a lot with, with these networks, I see a lot of momentum mm-hmm. and those people finding their tribe, finding you know some uh, synergy and energy yeah. from from those coalitions feeling more empowered uh, and knowledgeable about how to go about making changes in their own organizations. that's that's really exciting to. Uh, to see as well and mm. hopefully that 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 brings in some uh some change with, with with this company as well
0: yeah 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 and there's a lot of uh i think it's it's just really warm and you know those communities that we're both part of certainly are just you know very supportive in 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 people sharing things which are going to be beneficial or like getting involved and there's very little um, judgment as far as I can tell that I've, been, I've seen so that's obviously great to hear because you know we're talking about human rights and, and ethics and you know all these social good and, and these sort of topics so um, it kind of should be like that I guess <laughs> one one would hope so do, do you have anything else um,
1: this is something that I repeat every now and then but i want to repeat again here uh, when i mean look at ai systems or data collection and how this data is used in different systems and different use cases etc uh, there's always a tendency to silo a product or the government use mm-hmm. or this and that but we are never uh, just one thing in our lives at any given moment right now uh, we are using this technology, whatever uh, the platform that we are using is collecting data on us, etc. Yeah. So you're subject to this. But at the same time, you're a citizen. You're, um, you're part of your family. You, know, you're, you got data connect, collected on you, your family, your network, your friends. Uh, you're interacting with these platforms or services or products as a consumer. So it's not only like one or you might be involved in developing this stuff. So you're not only an employee Mm -hmm. who are trying to do the responsible design or ethical uh, design of this stuff. You might be a decision maker in your company. You might be a citizen who is trying to hold, protect uh, your rights and hold government use accountable. Um, You might be a consumer trying to, uh, hold these companies or platforms accountable. You might be just trying to protect your children uh, and how they're uh, subject to certain surveillance and data protection or certain predictive outcomes, et cetera. So I always say like expand the lens. Don't look at it just from your employment uh, perspective or just as a citizen because data is collected about you 24, seven, 365. So how do you react to that? How do you become more knowledgeable about some things? How do you demand change? Uh, I do underline that this is not like individual, this this, is this problem that problems that we're trying to solve are not going to be solved by individuals. So not to put extra burden on the individuals, Hmm. but it is the individuals that make the collective actions. That make the that bring up collective demands. So just being mindful of everything around you that you're subject to, and trying to figure out where you want to stand mm-hmm. uh, across those systems.
0: Yeah, instead of making more money. <laughs> um, no, I'm just. Um, <laughs> um, it,
1: yeah. it is. It is unfortunately a part of it, yeah. fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but it shouldn't be the only motivation, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. And, um, I wholeheartedly agree. I think for me, it's kind of like part of the process that you should, uh, well, you know, if you're making these sorts of stuff, obviously if you're just holding to it, as we talked about, you know, it's good to get educated, get, um, more digitally literate. Um, but. You know, it's just really interesting. I think it's just really interesting, like, this stuff as well. And that's one of the reasons I'm even here, because I just think it's really interesting. So, um, you know, even if just if it floats your boat, you should get involved, um, start looking around, maybe tip off some of these, um, you know, journals that can help you find out about how certain systems are working, if it's not obvious and it's detrimental to people, you know, and you get things like credit cards going to more men than women and you get all these kind of disparities turn up in your citizen's life and you can, you know, maybe um, investigate and have a look into those sorts of things as well. Um, Great. Um, I think we've chatted enough for the listeners. (laughs) Um, It's always a pleasure. Um, If people want to follow you, find out about you, how do they do that?
1: Uh, Definitely check out my website because that is first and foremost is meant to be a repository to easy access to information about the stuff that we talked about, AIethesis.org. Uh follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'm always happy to answer questions as quickly as I can. Um, but also follow our uh, uh, you know different different mm-hmm. works at with Center for AI and digital policy or um or this podcast, or um, you know, if if you're looking to find your tribe uh, mm. in in this in in this work, uh, you know, look for some of the networks as well.
0: Yeah, and, and some of those networks are listed on that site as well, aren't they? Correct. Thank you so much for your time. Um, have a amazing twenty twenty two, but also have a great um, you know New Year's. This is recorded to um, just the day before New Year's, so. Um, i'll see you i'll speak to you again in, in the next year
1: great 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 talking to you again ben
0: you too hi and welcome to the end of the episode thanks again to Mervey hickok so it was really great to have her on talking about all these sorts of things We're always really interested to hear what you think about the podcast, what other things we could be doing, and also our recent deep dive episode on AI and games, which was the last episode. So go check that out. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so at hello at machine-ethics.net or if you go to machine-ethics.net, you can actually fill in a feedback form there too. I really hope everyone has a really fantastic 2022 and that we can make this at least more exciting. So with that, thank you very much and I'll speak to you next time.